This is Joshua Bell with The Kilt and the Cloth. This was my sermon from July 18, 2021, called Scattered and Gathered. I hope you enjoy. God bless. Our scripture this morning is taken from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 36, verses 30 through 34, and verses 53 through 56. I'd like to follow along as I read aloud, it is found in your few Bibles in the New Testament section on page 39. The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away to a deserted place, all by yourselves and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. They went away in a boat to a deserted place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. As he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He began to teach them many things. When they had crossed over, they came to a land at Gennesaret. moored the boat, and when they got out of the boat, people at once recognized him, and rushed about the whole region and began to bring the sick on mats to wherever they heard that he was. And wherever he went, into villages or cities or farms, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might touch even the fringe of his cloak, and all touched it healed. May God bless the reading of God's holy scripture. Amen. So, for those of you that don't know, my 8.15 sermon and my 10.30 sermon end up being completely, totally different, 100% of the time. And as I was preaching the sermon at the 8.15 service, there was all these ideas that kept popping into my head that I was like, ooh, this would be better, or this would be worse, or maybe I should take this part out. And I came to the realization that I didn't like my 8.15 Here's the thing that I find fascinating about the Gospel of Mark. For those of you that know, I, I spent a, a great deal of my academic life studying the Gospel of Mark, specifically the understanding of the Greek text into what we would refer to to common English today. And there's a particular word in this particular passage of Scripture that keeps getting mentioned. It's called eremos, which literally means uninhabited place. I want you to keep that in your mind for just a second. Before the passage of scripture that I read that you guys have heard bits and pieces of between Lisa and Paxton, and then last week I decided to walk away from the Gospel of Mark just because. You got to hear the stories of like the feeding of the 5,000. You saw these beautiful stories where Jesus has appointed 70 apostles to go out into the world and scatters them throughout the whole land to do nothing but to heal the sick exercise demons and to raise the dead. You know, really small order. And these 70 just leave. All the while, the 12 sit right beside Jesus and continue to do the work of the ministry. And then we get to this passage of Scripture. Verse 
A lot of you have figured out that I'm an introvert. Truth. Might not necessarily feel that way because I put on my extrovert hat and I, I put my happy face on on Sunday mornings because I, I have been called to feel as though I'm, I'm going to preach this passage of Scripture. And for those of you that are introverts, you know that one thing that happens when you speak in public is you're literally giving a piece of yourself in every place that you are speaking in public. And when it's done, it's as if something has swallowed you whole and you're exhausted. Not, not because of what you said. It's because you had to exert all of this effort to make sense of your ramblings of your brain. I love the gospel of Mark's Jesus because I really think that he's an introvert. And here's my proof, as, as, my, as my concern. In my proof is Jesus, in every aspect of miracles, throughout the entire Gospel of Mark, he does something and then he leaves that place and he goes to do what? Anybody know? He goes to pray every single time. Oh, we're going to feed 5,000 people? Sure, no problem, let's do this. And, and then he gives them the look, right? You can, you can hear his brain. You can see it through the Gospel of Mark as he's saying this. He's like, are you kidding me? You have 5,000 people here and you're just doubting the power of God now? Well, bring the loaves and fishes. What do you have, right? And there's this beautiful story. And then what does he do? Okay, let's go pray. Took all of me out. Hear Jesus saying this. When I was in seminary, I took a particular class with a which I think is probably one of the greatest New Testament scholars of the last century, and if not this century. His name's Dr. Hal Tossig. And he's a little unconventional. But one of the things that he says is that the Gospel of Mark was written in an understanding of grief and trauma and pain. He tends to believe that most scholars do, that the Gospel of Mark was probably written in between 65 and 75 A.D. or C.E. In that moment, I want you to think about what this means. This writer is trying to find sense of the gratuitous violence that takes place in 70. When Rome destroys and, and literally raises Jerusalem to the very foundation of their buildings. Really for no reason. And you can hear this of excitement, this exuberance in the first 12 chapters of the Gospel of Mark, that Jesus is on a mission to bring people to the, the presence of God and to be okay with that eremos, that uninhabited place. Then the language changes in Mark 13 when you have what we call the little apocalypse. This writer is talking about all of the awful things that they've witnessed as the of Jerusalem, their place of worship is destroyed right in their very eyes. Now, let's go back to the uninhabited place. Jesus gives us a model here that we don't know how to follow. We struggle with this idea. We struggle with the idea of what it means to take rest to seek out the presence of the divine without other people. Let me tell you a little bit about these 
70 apostles. They're so excited. They've been scattered out into the world. They've done all these beautiful things. They've created all of these miracles. And now they've come back to tell Jesus all of the things that they've witnessed. They have gathered together to tell Jesus all of these miraculous things. And in that moment, they cannot tell the story because all of the community sees them gathered there and they are so excited to see Jesus that they keep interrupting the apostles. That's what we just got done reading. And so what Jesus does is he says, okay, well, let's, you know, it's so good to see you. We're so glad that you're here. You know, it does the, the kiss the babies, the shakes the hands moment, heals the sick, you know, I'll just take care of that. And then he says, okay, let's go to another Eremos and sit down and talk about this some more and rest. Live in this moment. And they get on the boat. They get almost to the shore and they see that the 5,000 that were on the other side have somehow beat them to the other shore and are waiting for Jesus and the disciples and the apostles to, to heal them. And that's why it says Jesus sees them with compassion and says, okay, I can't escape. And notice how the writer puts it. And everyone that was there was healed, even by just touching the hem of his cloak. Scattered and then they were gathered together. We struggle with this idea. We struggle with the understanding that there's this balancing act, this, this, this balancing act between proclamation and pastoral care. We have too often made these two qualities of Christian faith enemy. But we see Jesus balancing both as equally important to the church. A community that has the same compassion for the suffering that Jesus exhibited cannot be content with only preaching the gospel to the already converted. As those of us in the choir would say, already preaching to the choir. Christians must also attempt to meet the pressing social and material needs of others, even if a few of those who receive such services ever, ever grace the presence of us in our pew. I also want to point out the fact that Jesus takes time after every miracle to be with God. In the Gospel of Mark specifically. Matthew and Luke have him doing miracles. He prays a couple times, and then he goes off and keeps doing it. Mark, very insistent about it. So why is it that it's so hard for us as church to continue to do the minutia of church and not take moments of Sabbath? It's like what you do when you tell your children or the kids that you're working with, don't do as I do, do as I say. God creates the earth, takes Sabbath. Church creates the institution, we don't take days off. The church is always on call. It's in this moment that Jesus gives us a model that says, okay, stop, pray, rest. Feel the presence of the divine and not have to worry about the work being done. The work will always be there, right?
I look at our church as a really good example of this. And, you know, I, I struggle sometimes with trying to figure out how to balance this out. But my very first year here, by the way, have you figured out that starting in August, I'll be starting my fifth year? Do you believe that? It just literally feels like I came here yesterday. And in that moment, I remember our very first year together. Oh, my good God. Talk about a church that does work. Before I even walked in the door, we were already planning for Trunk or Treat, which we had only 400 children walk through. Then on top of that, we decided, well, we're going to go all out for Thanksgiving. We're going to do Thanksgiving boxes. We're going to feed people on Thanksgiving. We're going to take care of Weed Heart. We'll take care of all the meals on wheels. And that's before Christmas. You know, the busy season. Man, this church does more at Christmas than any church I've ever served. And that year, we did live nativity, Christmas village, caroling, Christmas parties, staff Christmas parties, and everything. And that's in the first six months. Did we take a break? Yes. When we went to sleep. I'm, I'm totally forgetting about the buckets that we raised money for to go send to people in Houston after the god-awful hurricane. That's just in the first six months. And then when we finally got to... Easter, you know, Lent, kind of the purpose of our faith. We recognize Jesus' death and resurrection. I decided in my brilliance to add all of these extra things. Oh, yeah, you guys do all this for Christmas? Let's do all this for Easter. So that by the time we got to May, I'm barely breathing. You're barely breathing. I said, okay, we're going to take a message and a word from the Bible and take a month of Jubilee in July. What? Yeah, no meetings. We're not going to plan anything. We're going to take the month of July off. Did the church stop moving that month? No. Did the church stop working? No. Did we come back refreshed in August? No, we probably came more like, now what do we do? And went right back into the, the, the minutia of working as church. But at that moment, took a risk, took a challenge, took a chance to say, God will continue to work amongst us, even amongst ourselves, besides ourselves, in spite of ourselves. Great experiment. Is it something we should do again? Yes. Are we going to do it next month? No. Are we going to do it again? Yes. You see, the purpose of this moment that I think that Jesus is giving to us is, is that he gives us the model of what it means to take Sabbath, what it means to take a moment to be in the presence of family and friends and acknowledge that it doesn't matter what the greatest plans are that you have. The most important thing together as family, as crazy and as dysfunctional as our world is making, we come to this place on Sunday morning for that. This is that place that you seek silence presence of God and that moment that you get to be recharged it's your moment of Sabbath so that when we leave this place you're scattered like the 70 apostles 
and that you cannot wait to come back to sit together in that silence and just bask in the glory of God's creation and presence. And then we do it all over again, every single week. If cost was not a consideration, where would we go? What would be our uninhabited place? Jesus is telling us, or the gospel writer is telling us, imagine the surprise of finally getting to go get your little getaway, only to discover that all the people that you work with here in Perry and around the world are waiting for you once you arrive. How would you respond to them? Would you allow Jesus, as he does, to shepherd you to take care of that flock? Would you see it like that moment where God will provide when you don't have anything left, like the manna in the wilderness? The people are escaping or ex exiting from Egypt, and they're starving, and they can't take anymore. What does God do? He provides their basic needs. Maybe it's a bit of God's initiative and human faith coming as a response. So the question that I have as we come to a conclusion, what is the response to our story? What is our response to this passage of Scripture? My argument always is that we come to this place to be fed at this shepherd's table. So we have gathered. A question that we should ask ourselves and find ways of discuss, discussing that amongst ourselves is, is what do we do when we leave this table and are scattered amongst God's creation? How do we live in that presence? nice to have moments of Sabbath. But we get to have those moments of Sabbath so that we can be scattered, proclaim God's love to all of the world. In the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen.